Thanks for tuning in to The Real Deal Show, brought to you by ebodyboarding.com and Tribe Boards. Hey everybody, Jay Real with another episode of The Real Deal Show. <laughs> and uh, you know, this one's been a long time coming. I started this show a couple years ago and I've always wanted to have this guy on with me. He's dodged me a few times. We'll talk about that a little bit. This is Cameron Steele. What's up, Cameron? What's up, Jay? How are you? Good, buddy. Good, good, good. I guess I'm in the hot seat now. You're in the hot seat. And Cameron is no stranger to the hot seat because he's a very uh, well-rounded guy. We're, we're going to get into the bodyboarding part of Cameron's life, but also his career as an announcer, his career as a business owner, and probably most prominently, his career as an off-road racer. So he has a lot of facets that we got to discuss and I had to write notes on this one folks so uh, there's there's Dang. so many things to talk about with you Cameron. Shoot. Okay. Yeah I know. Um, Sounds but, uh, painful. It could be. Could I be there's going to be some painful parts Could I be a JP Patterson four-parter? <laughs> it might be a four-parter. We'll see how this goes if I get sick of talking to you or not. Or but, poor uh, farter. <laughs> Something like that. Can I say so, that on your yep, podcast? Sure. Okay. No cussing though. It's a family show. I don't cuss. I try not. Never. I try to make it a family show. Never swear. Yeah, of course you don't. I don't. I don't. I'm trying to think about it. Profanity remember. is the crutch of the inarticulate. Wow, look at you with the quotes. I don't know whose quote it is, but I like do you. <laughs> no, you have to look that up. I someday. usually know that stuff. Um, Cameron and I have known each other. I moved here in 1987. I might have met you maybe a year before that when I came out for a contest. So. Uh, we go back quite a ways. That's uh, nearly 40 years, probably 35 years. Um, we have a deep history in the sport of bodyboarding back in the uh, late 80s, early 90s. We appeared on some videos together. Yeah. We hung out at the beach for many years together. We'll get into all that. But let's start out with the basics here, Cameron. So um, you are born and raised in Orange County, right? I was actually born in San Francisco, little okay. known fact. Uh, my family was living up there at the time. My dad was a general manager at a car dealership. And uh, we moved to Southern California by the time I was three weeks old. So I lived in, in a short amount of time, I lived in Redondo, Hermosa, Manhattan, Huntington, and we found our way to Laguna Hills just off the beach. And by the time I was in junior high school, I was living in San Clemente. So I've been in San Clemente since 1979, more or less. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, as a young kid with a brother, Grant, your brother, were you guys athletic? Were you doing all the standard ball sports, ball and stick sports, yeah. as they call it? Yeah. As I recall, I mean, a lot of soccer for me, that was kind of my sport that I loved. Um, you know, we played some baseball. Baseball kind of like I was over it pretty quick and the, the, the soccer I stayed in all the way till high school. Um, tried out for the high school team, broke my leg, uh, actually playing ball at no school. Way. Wow! And uh, and never never went back. I, that was the end of it. When I was a freshman, um, I don't know what team I was going to make, but I was going to be on some team there. And uh, yeah, broke my leg at school, kicking a ball at the same time as like a senior big guy, and broke my tib. No way! Yeah, this is San Clemente High. San Clemente High School. Wow! Yeah, yeah we we're. Uh, we were out kicking ball. We were actually kicking balls at the buses as they went by. Like we'd have practice after school, and the buses would come in to get people, and they, the guys are always trying to like hit the windows on the buses as they went by. <laughs> that sounds right up your alley, man. I wasn't there. I, I didn't do it. 
Well, your dad, you mentioned he, he worked initially at a car dealership. He's always been involved in motorsports. And did that start before you were born? I yep. mean, did you come no. up in that world? Yeah, so no, my dad went to his first Baja 1000 with Parnelli Jones in 1970. Oh, yeah. My dad worked for Parnelli at the time. He was a GSM at Parnelli's store. And uh, Parnelli's like, hey, I know you fly. Come to Baja, I know you've been there, but come fly for me for the race. I still have the slides from that trip, but my dad, um, my dad eventually, he owned a couple airplanes and never had a license. So he's an unlicensed pilot and he flew Baja for Parnelli in 70. In 71, my dad was on the, on the start line of the Baja 1000. And so my brother and I started going in about 73 or 74. We can for sure say we were there in 74, we might've been there in 73, but I don't have uh, the documentation to prove it. So you were involved obviously by osmosis through your dad, but were you also driving? Were you going on off-road weekend trips for recreation or competition or any of that? We as would a young go guy? at a young guy. No, no, none of that was none of that was really possible back then. There were local races, but we would go and uh, we'd go to the race. Like one of my great memories is going to the Mint 400 as like a nine or ten year old, and my dad turned us loose in the buggies. Go drive them, but don't go across that highway over there. And of course, we crossed oh. the highway. Um, but yeah, started driving off-road cars when I was 9, 10, uh, but never raced until I started navigating from my dad in 82 when I was 12 and started driving in 85 when I was 15 or 16. So you were riding uh, in these races as a 12-year-old doing as a navigator. Yeah. So the, you're in the, in the passenger seat. Yeah, but in those days, nowadays we have GPS and satellite radios and all this different stuff that the navigator's doing. Back then, I was mostly just meeting the right seat. But I was learning from my dad and learning from his partners. One of his partners is at the time the winningest Baja 1000 racer there was, Johnny Johnson. He recently passed away, but he was one of my mentors. So I got to learn from that right seat. Uh, yes, once in a while there were some jobs for me, but mostly I was just over there laughing or sleeping. Crazy, man. Yeah, it was fun. Totally immersed in that world. So we'll get back into that later, but I want to find out how the transition to bodyboarding happened. How did you get into bodyboarding? We were living in Huntington Beach. I was maybe seven-ish, hard to say for sure. My mom started taking us to the peninsula at Balboa, yep. not on the wedge side, but on the other side, and we were kicking around um, in the water there. Eventually, uh, Tom's invention landed in a hardware store in Laguna Beach. And my mom bought my brother and I both 132 BEs, which were the narrow boards yep. with the black rubber leash. Yep. And uh, that's how I started bodyboarding. And she started taking us to Main Beach in Laguna. And as you know, that's a hell of a shore break sometimes. So that's where I cut my teeth bodyboarding. And uh, from there, it was just on. I, I never really stopped. I did get into surfing for quite a while. And I did surf competitively. But Keith Sasaki was coming to town all the time. And he really encouraged me to stay with bodyboarding and got me to go actually to the contest I think you beat me at maybe in 86 or 87 yeah. uh, at the Maury Championships. Yeah. I wasn't going to go to that contest. I was like committed. I was already done. I was going surfing and he's like, let's try this contest. I was like, mm, all right. So, I mean, pretty much that whole time I was bodyboarding south side of the pier and then uh, I was a pier rat. Uh, surf a lot, bodyboard a lot on the north side. Yeah. Back then, like it's weird now, like like guys from Dana Point come and surf in San Clemente and vice versa. Like we never did that. Yeah, you I mean, stuck to your own spots. You, back we then. stuck to our spot. Like I was a pier guy. I didn't even go to T Street's half mile away. I never surfed T Street until I really started wanting to become a bodyboarder. 
And I started going down there and then I became one of the local guys there. Was it because there was a sort of a camaraderie, like you were a peer guy and that was it? It wasn't cool to go to another spot or was there some sort of localism thing like, hey man, you're a peer dude, get out of here. Well, it was T more, more the other way around. Like okay. nobody could come hang out at the pier. Like right. th that was like that was the, the hardcore, gnarly, that was a hardcore zones, spot, right? Exactly. And somehow as a kid, I kind of earned a spot on the wall there and yep. I was hanging out at the pier. Um, T Street was more like kind of like a fun, open family atmosphere. The pier at those times, I mean, the pier's not like it anymore, but it was like people didn't let their kids go to the pier. Because my parents used to drop me off there for the beach all day long. <laughs> there were some nefarious characters. There were some characters, you know. The, you know, the before the fishermen's, you know, it was a pretty hardcore working pier with yeah. fishing fishing boats on the side. And I think the fishermen maybe came in 84, 85, somewhere around there. But prior to that, there wasn't a lot of reason to be down there unless you were riding waves or, or hanging out. So Okay, speaking of hanging out, um, when I moved here in 87, T Street was the place to be if you were a bodyboarder sure. in South Orange County, really. The who's who of the best bodyboarders hung out at T Street. And so naturally, me, you, Keith Sasaki, who lived in town, was my roommate at the time. Yeah. And a host of other characters hung out at T Street every day. And, you know, I know Grom torture, Grom abuse, whatever you want to call it, was kind of uh, the it was like normal it was the, the regular uh, it was the status yeah. quo i mean i got it at the pier and yeah. i helped so, dish it at so the you street. brought it to t street so <laughs> let's talk about some of that stuff man okay. i think you were one of the main guys because there was some stuff that went down a totally innocent fun but good character building stuff for, sure. for the young groms and people that were everybody, new to town like everybody me. got it i got it you got it danny <laughs> kim got it and no one ever did anything to cave i don't think no they were afraid, yeah, of, afraid Kaven, of Kaven, okamura but, what did, uh, what did they do stevie spray all yeah. those guys they all everybody got it. i mean it was everything from hiding someone's board to hiding their fins to burying boards like deep you couldn't see them pink bellies were huge you know like people getting held down and smacked on the belly uh, I don't know. There are so many different things. Eating each other's food. I mean, I mean, you probably could come up with a ton of different things that happened. <laughs> well, okay, let's there, get into a couple was, of those. There I was got definitely some times got a little little crazy down there. Maybe. <laughs> so, I remember sometimes we would get in the car. You had a car. We would get in there and drive to Aliso for mm -hmm. like shore break sessions with yep. Scott Weiner shooting photos. And Frog would come with us, Jason Groves. Jason, if you watch this, I apologize for dredging up these horrible memories. I and just talked to Jason this morning. Yeah. Trying to surf Aliso tomorrow morning. Yeah, he's in. all over it. He would be all over that. And so we're all still friends now. But back at then, I remember, I think somehow he got pantsed or he was changing and somebody ripped his towel off. And then we all jumped in the car and drove away and he was naked. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe unofficially maybe. and then uh there's i won't get into the pucano stories but unless you want to no, i'd rather not okay i remember hanging out at your house i'm just rolling through these and you had this thing where you would uh you would have like a super big gulp dr pepper for breakfast mm. every day we'd go to jack in the box drive through before we surfed you'd have a giant Dr. Pepper, but sometimes we'd be hanging at your house in your room and you would hawk loogies on the carpet and stomp them into the carpet. Oh, shit. I don't remember yeah, that. that. I remember that. Terrible. Yeah, it was awful, awful, man. And we were just like, 
what are you doing? That's crazy. Well, that doesn't there's, sound there's real. nothing to you. Oh, geez. <laughs> and then one time I lived by the pier. I was walking up afternoon session. It was kind of overcast and cold. And you offered to pick this me up best, and drive me up to my house. Ever. This is a great hazing story. Yep. Right and I now. think Keith was in the front seat and I jumped in the back of the truck. And you Wait, had it's a, still legal then. Yeah, it was legal to ride in the back of a truck then. And you had a spare tire that was loose in the back. And it was just like a hundred yards up to my house from the pier. And so you, you pulled up in front of the house and I was about to climb out and you gunned it. And I'm going, what are you doing, man? And you're just cackling with laughter as you hit every bump in the road, speed bumps, hit the freeway, 70 miles an hour on the freeway. I'm in the back freezing. And every time you hit a bump, the spare tire would fly up in the air and almost land. I mean, I'm, you, you remember I'm screaming it, so at you from the back of the truck. You remember some of these things differently than I do. And I remember you stealing my scooter that a few times. Sure I, I wasn't in on that by myself, though. <laughs> there were some other helpers there. For yeah. All, I think, and, and Keith and maybe Kevin Baker. Yeah, there was a, a few people. But, we, yeah, it was, you know, it was a different time. People, sure. you had to kind of go through an initiation down there. And it never ended. It was constant. You never knew. What was going to happen? Some kids, I remember there was a kid named Ed Vice. He would be out surfing, and he knew when he came in he was going to get pink-bellied or corndogged. So he would stay out for four or five hours hoping we would leave the beach, and then he could come in and leave in safety. But I think, I think the best part of all the stories are, even though you know some of them sound a little radical, uh, I think just the camaraderie. Yeah. Right? And I think to this day we're still friends with all those guys. I mean, Eddie still lives around here. Yep. There's a lot of, lot of guys from that T Street group that still live right in the area. And, and on any given day, you could go down there. I, today, I talked to Jason Groves and Jenna Metzger, both Classic. T Street rats, yep. right? Yep. And uh, I've been down there and seen Tom Prince and, you know, so many great names of people. And unfortunately, some of them have passed away. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's a lot of great people that still turn up at T Street when it's firing. I actually went down the other day. It was going off. Last day of black ball for the summer. Yep. And uh, I was so amped. I was by myself in the water. The only person I knew in the water was Joe Grosden's wife. Yeah. And we just traded off waves. Was, we missed you that day because we came she later. She told me. She told me that so we're Vicky so was bummed. there earlier and you, or whatever it was. I was just talking. a little bit after Vicky. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, so that's it. We still occasionally bump into each other in the water. And it's like old times. It's like 30 years ago all over again. Or 40. We'll drop in on each other. Yeah. Whatever. I don't drop in as much as I used to. No, you're a little, I was a little nice. soft around the edges. There was such a good one that came in, and this guy was on a mat. Oh, and yeah. I was like, oh, i got to burn this guy. He's going <laughs> to he's gonna go straight. He's going to go straight. I'm like, I didn't. I dipped through, and I looked, and he, he did kind of plane a little uh, bit to the left. But, yeah. oh, it was so fun. Yeah. Like Maybe like 30 years ago, you already dropped in. 30 years ago, everybody got dropped in, yeah. dropped in on. T-shirt is a different yeah. place. Right. You know, it was, right. it was very competitive. I mean, if you were out on the peak, there was like on any given day, there's 12 pro level yeah. bodyboarders in the water at any time. So we got paid to bodyboard back in these days. Our entire day was hanging at T Street all day, paddling out, surfing, coming in, eating, going back out. We'd stay there all day long. And then the Bud Surf Tour, or the PSAA Tour, as it was originally called, mm -hmm. was kind of our, our venue to, to promote our sponsors. Every event was televised. And talk about your years on that tour. You and I competed yep. 
Honestly. The same amount of time the, the, during those same events, we would go travel to some of the events together, cram eight guys into a hotel room or, so epic. or your RV or whatever the case yeah. may be. Do you at remember? The, oh, yeah. At that time, so there, was, there wasn't really the world tour of surfing really wasn't even completely flourishing at the time. And uh, the Bud Pro Tour came along and uh, the Maestrels, I think, are the ones that started it from Body Glove. And Joey Baran. Joey Baran, yeah. Originally, and, uh, yep. There was such a great opportunity because I think at the time there was like two contests in Australia for bodyboarding that were pretty solid and the pipe contest. And that was kind of it. Yeah. Like there wasn't much to do. The, the Maury National Championships were still like a cornerstone event yep. um, that everybody went to. And, and this tour pops up and they have bodyboarding. We're like, all right. Yeah. And at the time, I mean... We all had sponsors. We're getting paid. I mean, I was getting paid from like five or six or seven different companies. Yeah. And uh, we were just like, like everything was epic. Things yes. were good. And um, that, that Bud Pro Tour came around and they treated us with great respect, I thought. They, we got yeah. to surf our finals on the same day as the surfers. Yep. And uh, we interacted with them. I, I had tons of surfing friends from San Clemente already that were on the tour. Andy Fomenko, Dino, Dino and Dino and a couple other guys that... Um, had won events or, or been at the top Archie. Parsons. Parsons, yeah, yeah a, lot, a lot of the guys. I was even kind of friends with Mike Crickshank, you know? He yeah. was a Dana Point guy, Salt but Creek I was a San Clemente guy, but the biggest best day flame ever shot at the Creek, I was there with Shank. So uh, we were kind of friends, or at least friendly. Um, I still see him around, by the way. Yeah. Didn't yeah. you get your cover shot? I never got a that cover day? shot. Okay. So that's, that's a good story we could talk about. Um, but uh, you got an ad shot for one of your sponsors from that day. I yeah. So, so at the great. time, if you want to tell the story, uh, Flame, uh, Larry Moore had given up the uh, photo editing of Bodyboarding Magazine. It was the very first issue he wasn't editing yep. for photos. Peter Brulier, Doc, had taken over. Yep. So Flame, uh, the way the story goes for me from someone who was inside the building, uh, was like Flame tossed the slide on the light table and said, here's the cover. This, this is it. Yeah. And so uh, I, the story goes that Flame walked back by two hours later and it had not been mocked up. You know, they used to mock the covers yeah. up on the wall and yeah. see what it would look like. It hadn't been mocked up or cropped. So he grabbed the photo and called O'Neill and sold it to him. Uh, <laughs> so, sure. Because the photographers, make money they make more money on the photos for the advertising sure. than for the... Um, for the editorial. Yeah, and so I... You know, I was so bummed because mm. I not only did I get my ass kicked on that session, yeah. all of us did. We all paid. Chris, I think Kevin Chris Billy, Billy got a poster, yeah. or Chris Billy, and Shank got yeah. a cover, and there was all this epic wow. coverage. It was from 11th Hole, which is towards Heroines at the Salt North Creek. End of the yeah, beach. the north end of the bay. Mostly a closeout, it basically. Is a, it is it's a closeout. It's just a slabbing closeout. It's a slab. Um, but yeah, I never got that cover. <laughs> did get a profile, so, you know, I was just... Uh, I. True story, I was walked in here in your office at eBodyboarding, and he has lots of great memorabilia on the wall. If you guys ever want to come in and check out some photos and some autographs <laughs> on the wall and stuff. Uh, but I saw your bodyboarding magazine <clears throat> cover there. Yeah, I know that's not your only one because you had the one that I was the profile in. Right. But I was like, and, uh, and I was like, damn. Jay got a cover with his eyes airbrushed in, <laughs> and I true. couldn't even get a cover on this like slabbing barrel. I know, so, man. Not a drip, drop of water out of place. The only thing I could say that that maybe they didn't want to do is because I, I am kind of mean mugging it a little bit. Like mm. I'm like I'm gritting. I'm not dragging my arm. There's no water out of yeah. place, but I know I'm about to get throttled. 
Yeah, that and was, I was like so lined up with flame, and I'm like, oh shit. Well, that was back in the smiley face days. Yeah, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't smiling. But I think more of the reason is he wanted to make some money, sure. probably, and sell it as an ad. Can't blame him. Can't I can't, blame him. I can't, you can't blame him. By the way, the, episode, uh, the issue with your profile, really unique shot of you sitting by a Baja bug wearing swim fins with and, your bodyboard in the shot and, I, and your race suit. Yeah, and that was all, I think, Doc's idea, actually, wow. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm wearing my Scott fins. I wore Scott fins forever before I wore Vipers. I was a Scott fin guy. Yeah. Uh, Steve Scott was super cool. I was a pro rider for Scott for quite some time. I loved my relationship with them. Uh, but yeah, he's like, hey, get one of your race cars and bring it down to the beach at Crystal Cove. Uh, so like in between Newport Beach and Laguna, yep. there's now a state park there. And uh, I drove the car down, it had no brakes. Oh. So it's kind of <laughs> sketch. I'm like, hey, there's no, I have no brakes on this car because we were rebuilding the braking system. Had to be this day. No. It had to be this time. It was like late notice. And so, yeah, I drove the car down there in first gear against the the, oh, you know, trying to keep yeah. it from going Use too the fast. Gears to yeah. break the car. Yeah, wow. and I had to like roll out onto the beach and turn it around. Oh my God. And yeah, it was, it was a good adventure. And you got to remember, at the time, you know, I was pretty young when the profile happened. I don't know what year was that covered. Do you remember? Yeah, that, 92 or that was yeah, like uh, late eighties, like eighty. Oh, was it eighties? Yeah. Yeah, so I was uh, I graduated from high school in '86, mm. so I was probably like nineteen or twenty yeah. in that twenty-one maybe. Right. Yeah, so I was pretty young to be driving my. Baja bug on the beach. Yeah. Not like you had a permit to do it. <laughs> you didn't need one back then. Yeah, it was different. There's no cameras. Yeah. Um, but that's a cool juxtaposition between the two worlds that yeah. you straddled, which we'll get into the off-road world in a minute. But the, the pro days, you had some interesting sponsors. You had uh, Wilson Bodyboards, yep. which was a very short-lived company. It was a licensing deal with Wilson Sporting Goods. Yeah. And I think BZ made the boards. Yeah, which was um, crazy because I didn't have like a big relationship with Bobby. Yeah. But I knew him and I was always very like, you know, hospitable to everybody. And um, he had this opportunity and I was like, what? He's like, because I went into the office for, he had me come in or someone had me come in. Maybe Pat Dugan maybe had me come in. I don't know. And they're like, hey, we got this opportunity with Wilson. I'm like, Wilson Sporting Goods? They're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, they made me a, a custom board. I still have one of the boards. There's very few of them. I think they only made like four of them. And uh, at the time, I was the only rider for Wilson, and they paid me, I want to say they paid me $1,200 a month. Wow. Might have been $800. I don't know. I cross them up sometimes. That and the foam designs deal, I can never keep straight. Um, but yeah, it was, it was quite an honor. Yeah. And then later on, I think maybe Seamus got one of those boards. I don't remember for sure, but I might have been the only pro rider for them. It was very short-lived. I think what actually happened was it was probably some kind of deal where Wilson was taking BZ into sporting goods stores or something. Oh, yeah. And they probably did a deal to, I don't know. Or And so BZ wasn't going to do it under their label. They did it under the licensing deal. And so I became that, that athlete, which yeah. is cool because the brands having professional athletes is what drove the sport and the profession and the higher level. Nowadays, there's so much like cheap boards, the disposable boards almost, yeah. you know, I think that it's, it's ruined the sport because I think people like don't respect or understand the boards. It drives me crazy. I see people dragging their boards by the leash on the concrete. Sure. You're just like, come on, you know? Well, the thing is, you know, this proliferation of cheapo boards has taken sales away from the, the core companies, mm -hmm. which has made it a situation where the core companies aren't making enough money to support 
contests or advertising and stuff like that. All of that's We could definitely get into that for a minute. Yeah. Well, you being a magazine publisher eventually, which came after your career, let's get into that. I just want to discuss a couple more sure. sponsors that you yeah. had. Yeah. Belly Jelly, Belly Jelly, which we still sell, by the way. The guy, Steve Much. Steve Much. Uh, I haven't talked to him in <laughs> 25 years, but um, I had an opportunity. I don't remember. I think it was they were going to be an advertiser in bodyboarding. And uh, they asked him if he wanted to sponsor anybody. He said, yeah. And he, for some reason, they chose my name. And uh, they called me and they're like, hey, this guy wants to sponsor you. I'm like, well, I want to I want to talk to him. Or he called me or whatever. And he was the coolest guy. It was a high school project. He was getting rashes, I guess. And it was a project or college project that he came up with. Wow. And turned it into a company. No and, and so people gave me shit all the time. Sorry, I'm not supposed to swear. <laughs> okay. uh, they gave enough. me crap all the time about being sponsored by Belly Jelly. But A, it worked. Yep. And B, the guy was super cool. Like yeah. Amazing, really nice guy. Yep. And on top of that, they paid me. And yeah. all those things led to me saying, yeah. And I did Belly Jelly ads. I probably ran the, the stickers on my boards. I thought it was legit. And years later, year, yeah. like over the years, like a decade later, whatever, like I'm not sponsored by them anymore. And people would come up to me all the time like, hey, do you have any of that belly jelly left? That stuff really worked. Yeah. I'm like, I know it really worked. It like, does work. People would come up and ask me for it. So I'm stoked to hear they're still selling it. Yeah. If a shout out to Steve and his company, Belly Jelly, I mean, it was a super, super legit brand. They haven't changed the packaging. It's I, still that cartoon character. It's a cartoon of him. Of Steve. Yeah. Uh, it's the same it's so, packaging. So cool. And it does work. I use it for like, if I ever get fin sores, it works epic. So, yeah. um, and then you had Peggers. That, yes. Let's, that was that was an interesting interesting product at the time. The, the cool thing was to like taper your pants and then fold the cuffs, and sometimes they'd come undone. So Peggers came up with this product that pegged the the, the cuff so it yep. wouldn't come undone. Right? And they, yeah, and they shot me in a studio uh, dress like I, I was wearing O'Neill Sportswear. I was sponsored by them for that yep. at that time. I think maybe I'd pink pants on maybe mm -hmm. and these like top sider looking shoes and i'm like pointing at the at the cuff and peggers um they never they never uh we never had any logo representation i don't think on the boards but uh it was a very short-lived deal but what's cool about it is that it's kind of like my body cat ad right yeah you know, madelaire's legendary ad you have a couple but <laughs> that course. was like the peggers ad was my the one everyone could make fun of yeah everybody's like talking crap <laughs> i it wasn't so much the peg that they were giving me shit about. It was the pink pants. Yeah. Always. Always the pink pants. But they did oh, have yeah. a pretty good shot of me in the shore break, uh, maybe at 11th hole or maybe at Aliso. Yeah. But it was it was in the mag. At the time, if, you know, the way I got my first real sponsor was a company called Drapes, which you might not have on your list. Oh, they were the, no, like the, I forgot Drapes. Yeah, Drapes. I was the Drapes wow, athlete. and so. I love it. Uh, the very first issue with Pat on the cover, <laughs> what year was that? 85. 85, yeah, I sent a letter to like eight companies in the magazine. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for sponsorship, you know, like, yeah. I was like a budding trying to get out of the amateur ranks and Drapes sent me a letter back and said, hey, we want to sponsor you. Wow. And ironically, they weren't far away. Yep. And uh, I met with them and I ran, uh, my very first advertisement was of Drapes. I surfed rights off the point. It was one foot wow. hank was sitting on the on the uh bluff or the yeah. you know the jetty going come on flapper catch some waves like one or two foot it was 54 degrees out and i was wearing trunks for the ad 
And they ended up running a <laughs> so shot of me cold. doing like a spin. Oh, and it man. was terrible, but it was cool. They sponsored me. I was, you know, well, whatever. That, that was the state of the sport back then. If you look at early bodyboarding magazines, and I have a couple episodes where I, I did that, um, the, the advertising was all over the map. There was all kinds of wacky products, and they all advertised in the mag, and they wanted riders to rep their products. So getting sponsored in the golden era of the sport was not hard. It I wasn't mean, that hard. If you had some results, you had been in the mag, and you know we were pretty fortunate. I think you know the, the first six or seven or eight guys pioneered the sport. And I know a lot of people like say that we were the second wave, like we, there's kind of a group in between us and them. But being in that second wave of professional bodyboarders, we really benefited from the, the path that was laid down of the hardcore tube riding and the personalities that came out of it and uh, how respected the sport was. I mean, it, it, the sport didn't really start getting clowned until slightly later when it became that all smiles all yeah. making sure your hair looks good and you know some of the goofy yeah. products that came along with that. Well, this is a perfect segue into your your post pro bodyboarding career. You went into the publishing world. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I was uh so basically just so everybody knows how that happened. I was uh I was uh riding dirt bikes professionally. I had quit bodyboarding. I think I quit bodyboarding. I got totally fed up with the judging thing. I thought it was totally bull, bull crap that it was a full spin to win thing, you know? Like, yeah. And one of the catalysts for me was I was working really hard on air reverses. We called those ARSs back then. And uh, I got one in a contest kind of, it was probably janky, but I lost the contest and I was so pissed. I'm like, the judges have no idea what they're looking at, even though I knew the judges and I have friends with some of them. But I was like, ah, oh, so over it. So anyway, I needed a job. My mom was dying from cancer. My family was destitute almost. Um, and so I needed to find a job. I was, you know, 20-ish years old and needed to find my way. And uh, I got a job selling cars. And uh, I actually applied to be a race car driver. And they're like, we don't need race car drivers. We need car salesmen. And Jeff McPherson offered me a job. But anyway, to get to where you're at, Scott Picard needed a job when he came to the West Coast. He was a East Coast professional. I got him a job selling cars. He lasted about a year. The car sales business is kind of a meat grinder. It's kind of nasty. I bet. And uh, Scott left and ended up going to World Oceans Media. And he became, he was in charge of editorial content for Pit Bodyboard Magazine. And one day he called me up. He's like, hey, he's like, would you ever consider, you know, leaving the car dealership? Now, you got to remember, I'm like early 20s making probably $150,000 a year, salesman of the year at the dealership, wow. like cranking. And uh, he offered, he told me these guys want to hire a sales manager. And I was like, hmm, I'll, I'll talk. Start over. I'm going to, I'll talk to him. Yeah. I didn't want to be a car salesman. Okay. You were uh, making good money, but you, you weren't money. in it. You no, weren't, my heart, wasn't, heart in wasn't in it. Yeah. I had already done it for a year and a half or two years and I could see the writing on the wall that they were just going to grind and grind and grind and grind. And uh, so I went down and met with Mike Fry, Fry uh, Jake Knight, and Tracy Mikulak, who owned World Oceans Media, which was Wave Action Magazine, Surf Magazine, yep. Plow Snowboard Magazine, and Pit Bodyboard Magazine at the time. Later, we ended up bringing in Launch Wakeboard Magazine also. Um, but I met with these guys, and I could see their passion. And what was cool to me was they were going up against surfing and Surfer Magazine with their Surf Mag. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, they give it out free to everybody. I'm like, I mean, and if you look at the issues, they have good content. I mean, it was a little bit more janky. It wasn't quite as polished. 
but it was like good content. And I was like, man, I, I really think do something here, you know, cause I still had lots of ties in the surf industry and stuff like that. So anyway, um, I took the job and, uh, first thing I did, I think at the time Scott had, um, like, uh, I'm not sure what the page count was, but in the thirties, maybe pit bodyboard magazine and maybe four or five issues a year. I can't remember, but we ramped up pit quick. Uh, it ended up being a hundred page book came out 10 times a year. Uh, we embraced everybody. We talked shit about everybody. We, we, in my opinion, I know it's a little rough and uh, some people disagree. Yeah, I want to hear it. My opinion, I think what killed professional bodyboarding is that everybody had to be so nice. Okay. You couldn't so have... this is what we talked about yeah. and we touched on it earlier. Let's yeah. get into this. So, I mean, I love all the pro bodyboarders that are my friends. You are a great example. You are like, your persona is the nicest, most genuine, straightforward American pie, American apple pie, good guy deal, right? Right. And back okay. in those days, I was running a little rougher, right? Yeah, right. And, and so, but for me, there has to be a frick to a frack, a yin to right. a yang. And, and not everybody could be that guy dropping in at Sandy's with a smile on his face and his hair perfect, yeah, right? And right. that's kind of how it was perceived. Yep. And uh, I just felt like the bodyboarding was getting, at the time, was getting an unfair rap, uh, being like too, too kiddie-like, and the contests were really, like I said, based on spin to win mentality. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying yeah. that every contest was like that, and I'm not saying the guys that won couldn't bodyboard. Well, just a quick sidebar, you, at the end of your competitive career, the Kawhi Classic team was coming up, and their whole thing was, you know, promoting Christianity and, and you know, everybody loves, God loves you. And, and I love God. And, I'm a Christian. You're a Christian, but they were, I won't say they were pushing it on everyone, but they were very vocal about it. But at the same time, they would go out and as a team and they would yeah, their use their, didn't support yeah, their, they would use the, saying, their right? strategy to prevent other competitors from advancing through heats. If you had three of them in your heat, you yeah. were done. And you famously, <laughs> I did. It happened to me. You famously would do yeah. stuff like that just to try to psych them out I before they I was very antagonistic. Antagonistic, I, uh, but all in fun from your point of view, and we would laugh about it. Yeah. But yeah, so you know, you it got were me like, fired from. Let's, got me fired from home designs. Did it really? Yeah, yeah. So I had. A, you I had, had the same heat. sponsor. Yeah, we. Had, so I was on foam designs. I can't remember who else was on for a while someone else but like i was like really kind of one of their guys and um what happened was i was uh, had a heat at sebastian inlet yeah and it was first <laughs> thing in the morning sun's rising i have a heat with i want to say it was harry chris and maybe jason yeah or kyle my i don't, I don't think it was kyle i think it was yeah. one of the other guys there was a few others that mm -hmm. were involved mm -hmm. and uh, they basically at sebastian inlet like there's one peak at, the, at least that day. I mean, I know there's multiple peaks at Sebastian, but it was like a right coming off the jetty or whatever. Yeah. They just paddled around me. Like one guy would pretend he's going, I'd pull out, the guy would go in the sweet spot. Yeah. It was a full team up thing. And so I, I got super pissed about it. But uh, yes, they were preaching Christianity, which is fine. I love Christianity, but it, it all overall the sport got kind of pegged as this like, wow. It was too Milk vanilla. It was, it was very vanilla. There's vanilla. no personality. Right, no and you wanted to go the opposite direction. And I did, with, but at, at the same time, I think when we were at Pitt, Scott, myself, uh, Darren <coughs> Delmore, uh, Brian Pearson was there. Uh, we miss you, Brian, and if his family's watching, we love and miss him. It's been 20 plus years since mm -hmm. he died. Um, we just wanted to 
portray bodyboarding for what it was. And I remember Manny was doing a trip, uh, maybe to a wave pool. I'm like, Manny, I want you to document the trip. We'll give you eight pages in the magazine. But document the trip really what it was. Like, give us the real story. Yep. So there were some cans of beer in the in the pictures, right? Yeah. And there were some, they told the story, and there was great surfing, and everybody's ripping. And we ran the story as it was. And I think that some people might have been a little offended by it, but at the same time, I think that, and I might have the wrong Manny, I might have the wrong thing, but this is what I remember. But um, I just thought that the sport needed to be portrayed as it was. And you got to remember that, bodyboarders found chopu bodyboarders found yeah. like a lot of these slabs in australia and bodyboarders don't get the credit that they're charging these massive barrels because yeah. people are like just see them as like pool toys yeah and i know that uh i think steve sawitz or someone made a video called pool toys mm -hmm. uh, was, yeah jason norton oh jason norton that's mm -hmm. who it was yeah jason norton and uh yeah i mean i thought it was a great name for a video but yeah. that's that's what i thought people portrayed it as so I, I didn't go out of my way maybe i did but we didn't go out of our way to portray the sport too hardcore like or too nasty like uh, at the time there was a big push um there was a video series that you know video was very young then um i can't remember it might have been uh a thrasher skateboard magazine yeah. that was doing this this series it was really gnarly like he got a lot of eyeballs on it but it wasn't the way we should portray bodyboarding and i wasn't trying to copy that i was just trying to let the guys be themselves yeah you know and and we ran a cover shot of fred booth sitting on the beach at porto looking back over his shoulder at, at robbie crawford you know puking. and yeah i think he was puking up water from the session or something right. and um and it was like, I mean, that really happened. And it was like, we put it on the cover and I thought it was cool because we were getting a different look at the sport, yeah. right? It wasn't, it wasn't all bubble gum and smiles. Right. It was, it really, I mean, to pull into some of those waves, like I was telling the story the other day, Eddie Solomon and Andre both were with us in Cabo on the Freak Fest in the original days, like 99, 2000, I don't remember what year. And uh, we all went to Solmar, a ton of us. And it was 20 feet. It and was, Cameron started the Cabo Freak Fest, yeah. by the way. And uh, and it was so big. And those two guys paddled out. Wow. One with the camera and one with the bodyboard. And Crazy. Andre had the camera at the time. This set came in and Eddie went, right? Oh I was like, oh my. This is and, the heaviest and, slabbing shore break you've ever and we're And there's, there's 25 pros on the beach. <clears throat> nobody, they didn't want to go out. Nobody yeah. wanted any. Yeah. Nobody wanted it. Eddie and Dre went out. Wow. And Eddie caught this wave, and all I could see was Dre with a housing <laughs> pointing at him. Right. And this I, is pre GoPro. Yeah. Way, yeah. way before. This is GoPro. film. This was film. Yeah. These so it's, these housings are heavy. And uh, all I said on the beach that right when that happened, I said, if there's any photo from that right there, it's a cover yeah. of this issue. Yeah. And when we got it, it was a little soft and it was a little like it had mist in it. But it was a, as Eddie would say, it was a beast master. And we put that on the cover and it wasn't the prettiest wave. It wasn't the prettiest photo. And it, it totally defied the logic of what we had seen from the other magazine and no disrespect to bodyboarding magazine. Yeah. I, they did a great job. Right. They portrayed our sport. There was great people work there, but it was different. And this photo would have never ran on their cover. Right. But it ran on our cover because I felt like that was the guts Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Cameron Steele on the next Real Deal Show.